I appreciate you not kicking that, Paul. That's, that's, it, it's, everything with a Lego is repairable. Nathan and I were talking about yesterday. He's like, can I find a baseball bat that's a Lego? And I was like, the physics of Legos don't support baseball bats. But um, that would be a fun thing to have. Um, so this week, I, um, I was informed that uh, my perspective of the life of Joseph is definitely from the younger brother. There's 12 brothers involved. Did I turn the microphone on? Yeah. There are 12 brothers involved. Joseph is the 11th of the 12. Uh, there's only two brothers in my family, and I'm definitely the younger one. My brother's six years older than me. Um, and, you know, it, it is an interesting perspective, and it got me thinking about the... Uh, the reality of who we are, where we are, because that's kind of where I see one of the buzzwords in church life and in missions work is contextualization. And uh, a lot of people interpret that in a lot of different ways. Um, my, my typical definition is where it's being who you are, where you are in Christ. And um, I wouldn't want to throw the Freibergs under the bus for calling me a little brother in that, but I just did. Um, we, we all come to look at the scriptures from our personal context. We don't see it any way except for where we are starting out. And in the same way, one of the reasons I like to work through the accounts in the, in the scriptures linearly, chronologically in this case, is because God put that there for a reason, in the order it's in. And preaching through narrative, like we have here with the story of Joseph and, and Jacob and, and, and all the things that will come to be a part of it, um, there, there's a reason that God places this where it is, and there's a reason God places Joseph where he does. There is also a reason he does not place his brothers there. And, and, and a lot of it has to do with personalities. Sometimes it has to do with bringing humility to the situation. Uh, how will we respond individually in these different kind of, um, in these kind of places? But when we see that, um, that God has placed Joseph in Egypt for such a time as this, as we would see that statement made in the book of Esther later in the Old Testament, we see that... Um, that God has reason to have this man as who he is at this moment in time. And um, here, this is a pivotal chapter in the account that we have been going through. I think all of them have their own moments of being pivotal points. Pivotal, I, I can't say that word very much today because I can't say it right. Pivotal. I keep saying pivotal. That's not a word. Okay, um, pivotal points. I'll try to stop saying that now so I quit running into that. But anyway, uh, one of the things we see here in chapter 42 is what I remind you of along the way is fulfillment. What we must realize about every prophecy, every word that we read is that it's only true if it's fulfilled. 
And there are prophecies in the Scriptures that we have yet to see the fulfillment, but we trust that that day is coming. We just sang of one of those days just now of Christ's return. We have not seen that yet. But we know because He has been faithful to this point that that day is coming. And so now we see evidence in the Bible of how God has brought fulfillment in history to that moment and why He puts certain people in certain places. So we see uh, a situation now that we actually saw happen several weeks ago, and in their case, decades before it was predicted. It happens here. So, Genesis chapter 42, we're only going to read the first five verses to start out. Um, I wrote all these verses out by hand this week, and I realized that it takes a long time to hand write out a page and a half of the Bible. I know, suffering for Jesus there. But it's, uh, it's a long account, and we will work our way through it today. Let's stand together as we read the first five, five verses of Genesis chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But jo Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine in the land the famine was in the land of Canaan. Our Lord, thank you for your sovereignty, thank you for your fulfillment, for your authority over all things, and may we find comfort in that today, in our in our trials, in our suffering, in our circumstances throughout the world, that we can trust you to bring your word to pass. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So, news travels slowly, right? Well, it took a while, actually, for the news to get to Canaan. It may have taken a while for the famine to get to Canaan. J Joseph was put in charge last week, remember? How long was that before this moment? About nine years. You can do the math as you read beforehand, but... Jacob, I'm sorry, Joseph, now see I've got the pivotal thing and I've got the Jacob and the Joseph. I'm going to have all kinds of problems this morning. Joseph was in prison for a good while, for a couple of years, and forgotten there. The cupbearer remembers him. He brings him and he interprets uh, Pharaoh's dreams. He tells Pharaoh, that the two dreams he has are the same dream, that there will be seven years of famine, or seven years of plenty, more than enough, and then seven years of famine following, and that he should put somebody in charge, and then he crosses his fingers. Right? I don't know if that actually happened, but that's what I see happening when Joseph says, you should put somebody in charge. Maybe? Please? Now, even if he is hoping for that, he got far more than he bargained for. Because then he's given Pharaoh's ring, he's given Pharaoh's stamp, the cord around his neck, and he's given another new coat, right? He's, we keep talking, talking about Joseph's clothing here. He starts out in the uh, amazing Technicolor dream coat, right? 
that's, that's something else. I'm sorry. Oh, the tiger got in my way. Yeah, anyway. uh, and then we have the robe that he left at Potiphar's house that landed him in jail. And then now he gets clothed again. And he looks a little different than he probably did beforehand. As a matter of fact, it says he was shaved. I mean, he shaved his face. He, he got cleaned up. And, and Pharaoh puts him in charge. And he said, you will report to no one except for me. Now, Pharaoh was viewed in the Egyptian, uh, what's the word, pantheon, as God in the flesh. He was next in line to be the supernatural. So Joseph, this foreigner, is now put in charge of all the food. And we see here they are at the, the entire region. And we think that Egypt and Canaan might have been a long way away from each other. You know, if we get in our car and drive to Denver, we're going to be there in two hours, depending on traffic in the gap, right? Or Colorado Springs or whatever. I live in Pueblo for a reason. Anyway, it takes a while to get there, but just think if you were walking, how long it would take. There might be less traffic, but we're going to be a lot slower. My donkey doesn't move that fast, okay? So they may just be a matter of 100 miles away from each other or so, they might as well be a lifetime away from each other. They're a long way off. Canaan experiences the famine as well. News filters through the Levant, through Palestine, through the area that Egypt has food. Now where Jacob and his brothers lived, or his, I'm sorry, Jacob and his children lived, was in Beersheba, which is in the Negev, in the southern portion of the land of Israel. It's kind of out in the middle of the desert. There's some water there. You know, if it's drying up, it's not doing you much good. So he sends the ten sons. Which ten sons does he send? The ones that don't belong to Rachel. He keeps Benjamin home, who is Joseph's full brother, his younger brother. He is the son who died, I'm not sorry, whose mother died in birth, in childbirth for him. So we have Jacob sending the ten older brothers, keeping back this youngest, because his brother had disappeared. We're going to get further into the story here. If you haven't read this before, this is one of the most amazing moments that we find in the book of Genesis. And there's a lot of good stuff in Genesis. Now, Joseph was governor over all the land in verse 6. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. How did that all work out? Joseph realized that in it, one of his administrative skills was that the different cities needed storehouses. And so they filled up, it says at the end of chapter 41, they filled up the storehouses to the point that they quit counting how much grain was there. Who would like to have that problem? Right? If you just don't have to think about it anymore. They quit, they, they quit measuring it. They just knew they had a lot. And in the day of the famine, they had two years to start using that store up, that was stored up. He was the one who sold to all the people the land. So he, he oversaw all these things. Wherever he was at the moment, he was, whether he was in Pharaoh's house or wandering around, his brothers come across him. I call that God's sovereignty. Because I don't think Joseph was a guy who was going to sit around and wait for something to happen for some reason. It seems like he had to sit and wait a lot in his life sitting in prison, right? 
He's probably, once he gets out, he's after it. He's been in this job for 10 years. He knows what he's doing. As far as he is concerned, Canaan is distant past. Perhaps he's thought of his family, his brothers, whether his father is still living along the way, but he has moved on with life. God has placed him in Egypt for such a time as this. He has great responsibility. He's holding up his end of the bargain with that. So he sees his brothers. How would he recognize them? Well, first of all, there's a lot of them, right? They're, and they're about 20 years older, so all of those nice brown hairs have turned white. Not all of them, but a lot of them probably have. Guys who were 30 are now 50. And I don't know, I was going to put, my brother sent me a picture of, of me and his wife at their wedding. I was, I, I do not look like I did when I was 17 years old or 18 years old. I just turned 18. We don't look the same over time, right? I remember seeing some pictures of folks who were here that I met when we came here and I saw older pictures of them when they were younger and I was like, wow, I wouldn't even have put that as the same person, right? And some of you have said that to me when they see our wedding picture. They don't even realize it's me in there because the guy, that guy's got hair, you know? And there's red in that beard. No longer, right? What we find is that over 20 years, Joseph doesn't look the same. Why does he look different? Well, first of all, he's shaven. The Egyptians in authority held very hygiene and, and presence very high. He looked like an Egyptian. He was clean-shaven, had whatever kind of stylish haircut he did at, the, at that point. Maybe he was bald. I mean, you can always wonder. You can always hope. And it did work out well for the bald guys in the Bible. Go talk to Elisha. Okay, now, anyway... What, who knows what he, he, what we know he looked different. He was speaking a different language. The brothers show up. There's 10 of them. They're rough and tumble. They've been through it. Their families are, are hungry, if not starving. They're wearing um, Canaanite garb, not the pretty Egyptian clothing of the royalty. You can see that this, they look a lot different. But Joseph recognizes them. Joseph saw his brothers, verse 7, and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to him. Why, where do you come from, he said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Honest. I've got to have some food. We need to feed our families. Joseph recognized his brothers. They say this over and over, and over right? Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. I'll come back to that in a second. But let's go back four or five pages in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37, verse 5. Remember that bratty teenager, that little brother that showed up? He'd been put in charge by the father to go and check on his brothers. His brothers viewed him in a certain way. They were not happy that he was there. They thought he was a spy for dad. 
Now Joseph, in verse 5 of chapter 37, had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to him, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we're binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. It was already despised by his brothers. It only got worse. Then it happened again. Remember, this happens with Pharaoh later. We talked about it last week. It happened twice, right? Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come down to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Think about that. Same dream twice, and here it happens. Thing happened with Pharaoh as well. Pharaoh had the same dream twice. Not identical dreams, but the same theme of the dream, right? And in the meantime, 20 years have passed. He gets sold into slavery. He gets unjustly punished. He lives in prison for a good long while. He gets stuck in there again after some more dreams. Guy can't get out of his dreams. Then he ends up being elevated to the second most important role. I would dare say that Pharaoh probably thought he was a little more important than he thought he was because he could organize all this stuff. If you hear a word from the Lord, you need to compare it to his word and his faithfulness already. And that's what we see here. God brings to pass Joseph's very first dreams. So we see his, this dream. This dream makes, him, uh, makes his brothers angry with him. Then he has the dreams, or then, then, his, uh, then his cellmates have the dreams that he interprets for him. Then Pharaoh has the dreams that he interprets for him. And now we see it come full circle. The tables are being turned, as it would be. His brothers, who treated him as a spy, he now pushes back on them and calls them the same thing. Does he th- actually think they're spies? I don't think so. I think he realizes this is what God planned all along. He said to them, verse 12, No, he keeps, he's pushing back at them. No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. Are they being honest? As much as they know how to be honest. They think Joseph's dead. There's some irony playing out here. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, let him bring your brother, and while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. They get a little bit of the taste of their own medicine. 
every one of them ends up in jail. I've never been there. I know that a lot of people have had strange experiences in their lives. I'm not going to discount that some of you haven't been through weird things in your lives as well. But I can't imagine going down to humble yourselves before the most important people in the world at the time, asking for help, and then being thrown into jail. I would say that the brothers had hit pretty low here. They thought it couldn't get much worse than being hungry. And now they're unjustly accused and thrown into prison. Does that sound familiar? Same thing. It's turnabout, as they would say. I don't know whether it's fair play, but it's definitely turnabout. And I see here Joseph's humanity as well. We tend to elevate characters in the Bible and think that they might be above certain things. Joseph's getting a little revenge here, right? He's doing a little payback, but he's not going to leave them there. He is, he does have a plan, but he comes back after they've suffered a few days, after they've had to stew on some things with some different ideas. On the third day, verse 18, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. That's a brave thing to say. Now, we read this in English. We're going to find out here in a moment that Joseph has yet to reveal that he can understand what his brothers are saying. He's been speaking Egyptian for 20 years. He knows both languages pretty well. He probably knows more languages than those with all the different peoples he has to deal with. So he's acting as though he doesn't understand what they have to say. Here is the proclamation, the instruction he gives to them. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me, for your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. So after three days in the pokey, that's what my dad called it, after three days in jail, they figure one staying there is better than all ten of them staying there. So they return with a little bit smaller caravan. Then they said to one another, verse 21, this is where we get, you know, you know when something happens to you, and this happens to me a lot, you don't necessarily see how it's all played out until you get to think about things a little bit. That's what the brothers have had a chance to. You think they've had some heart-to-hearts in this jail cell? All stuck in there? Then they said to one another, verse 21, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his, soul, of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Yes and no to that. We see God's perspective in that his plan is that they would be provided for through this. But everybody hasn't made it down to Egypt yet. Reuben, the oldest, the firstborn, answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? Just like the firstborn, okay? I had it right the whole time. 
you should have done what I said. I haven't had that happen to me in my life. I'll take a sip of water now. In the last 10 years. Okay, so Reuben answered, did I not tell you that that's a sin to go away? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They think he's dead. They, don't, they, 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 they have really more of a um, superstitious understanding of what's happening here. Not realizing that it's that one, the boy, who is putting them through the ringer here. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there is an interpreter between them. He's a smart guy. He's not going to give himself away. Then he turns away from them and wept. Why does that matter? Why would he turn away from them? Well, there's a lot of reasons. First of all, it's undignified. Dignity is a big deal. Pride matters to them. But also, it, would have might, it might have given away who he was and that he cared. So he, it says he turned away. In a moment, we're going to see he left the room. He probably went to another, a whole other part of the palace. Stay there. A whole other part of the palace. And wept. Not little sad tears. Huge sobs. He returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Now Reuben was the firstborn. Simeon was second. Simeon, Simeon and Levi uh, had some untoward activities earlier in the book. But he keeps the secondborn because Reuben, I think, because Reuben stood up for him. He sends them all back. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Joseph needed some collateral, so he knew he would see his little brother. He's going to, we're going to come to that here in a moment. So he keeps the secondborn. And, but he sends them back with provisions. Puts all of the money back. Is there grace involved here? Absolutely. Joseph sees what God is doing. Then he loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give the donkey fodder to the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of the sack. He said to his brothers, my money's been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? What is the spirit of that question? I think you could ask that question in a lot of different ways. Has God blessed them? Is God cursing them? They're asking, what's going on here? And they get home. Well, there's one brother that opens his sack, which only one opened his sack that whole journey back. Did the rest of the donkeys not eat? Anyway, those are questions that come to my mind when I'm writing down all these verses. When they came to Jacob, their father in the land, verse 29, they told him all that happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. We said to him, this is a recap, obviously. We're not going to dwell on this. He's, they're just giving dad. We did what you told us to. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me. And take grain for the famine of your households, and go your way. 
Bring your youngest brother to me, and then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. So they, they get home after the one brother feeds his donkey. All the rest of them got home too. Uh, they, they see all these things happen. They report to dad. Then they go to unpack. Seems pretty logical. Dad wants to know what's going on and what happened to Simeon. I've already lost one kid. Now I lost another one. Well, how old are they? How old is Jacob? Not a young guy. So Jacob still has authority over this whole family of these old men. I'd say that they're at least 50 or beyond, and he's how old? 70, 80, 90? He still holds that authority over them. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. Why were they afraid? I think they just didn't understand what was going on. Have you ever been in a place in your life where just fear reigns? What is happening? I don't get it. What is going on here? But be reminded in the midst of that great trial where you can't see what's happening, that God is sovereign. He sees the plan from the beginning to the end. And He has it figured out. And He wants what's best for you. And he gives what's best for you. Not necessarily riches and sacks full of grain and whatever you see here. He is a loving father who provides for those who love him. He provides for those who don't love him too. I mean, rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Anyway, they were afraid. Verse 35, Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. He's not happy. He's angry. He's, he's, all he sees is loss. Even amidst this great blessing, the only thing he sees is that his sons are disappearing. Especially his favorites. Just or unjust on that. And then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. Reuben understands that he has to advocate for the entire family here. My son shall not go down with you, dad says, for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to shale, the place of the dead. That's where it leaves us here at the end of chapters 42. They have gone down. They find provision for that time. They have enough for a period of time, however long it ends up being here. We're going to see. And Jacob lets fear rule his heart. Not the good kind of reverence that we talk about fearing God, like Joseph said about earlier for I fear God, but genuinely being afraid to lose what he loves the most on this earth. Guys, God knows our hearts. He won't allow anything to happen to you that's beyond his control. Jacob, in the middle of this turmoil of a famine 
He's hungry. His sons are disappearing. Is afraid to give God the reins. Most of you have probably read ahead. One of the challenges of preaching a passage like this is everybody's got their own ideas on everything it puts together. God is sovereign. He cares for you in your darkest moment. To tie it up in a bow, this is the fulfillment we see in Christ. This is Joseph as a type of Messiah in the Old Testament, as a type of Christ, is that he provides the rescue when they decide to trust the Lord. Tying it up in a bow here. What have you refused to give to God? God is in control of all of what's happening here. Joseph, in charge of a nation. Jacob, hungry, trying to feed ten kids and all their kids too. God. What can you offer to Christ then that is a reflection of what eventually will happen here? That they simply just have to. Most of the time, we, we don't face a life or death decision. We face with something much more small, maybe important, but, it's, it, it, but it doesn't have to do with a choice made to life to death. Here it was, on all kinds of different levels. He waited because he didn't trust his sons. Ultimately, because he didn't trust God to do it. There's something in each of our hearts and our lives right now that we haven't given to God. He wants us to come to the place where we trust him. And a lot of times he'll strip us of everything we think we need in order that we would see him. We've seen that with Joseph. Unjustly punished in so many different ways. And now God has put him in a place of authority, of power, of provision. Now, it's his brother's and his father's turn. I think we're in one of those few places today. Maybe not in charge of a country, praise the Lord. Oh, yeah, yeah. They can have that. But maybe we, we need to lay something at the feet of God, knowing that he's going to draw us out of the pit of despair, the, pit, the dungeon which we are suffering in. God is faithful. He hasn't forgotten you. He loves you. And he wants to lift you from that place today. Will you trust him? Will you trust Christ? Lord, you are good to us. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for how you provide. I thank you for, at least in my case and so many here, a familiar story. But you call us to dwell in your 